I am Lucas Mack, and I'm on a mission to see the hurting get healed and the healed go out and heal others in order for all of us to experience the true love and light we desire. This podcast is me sharing my journey with you so you don't feel alone in your journey. Welcome to the Golden Rule Revolution. Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome back to another episode of the Golden Rule Revolution. I'm Lucas Mack. Thank you for joining. Um, last week, I released part one with Ali Siatatan of Thinking in Productions. We covered UFOs, aliens, Nephilim, giants, um, and angels. And today is part two with Ali. We had such an incredible conversation. The amount of information you're going to get in this podcast is incredible. So buckle up. Um, if you have a Bible, grab a Bible. Um, there will be a bit of a Bible study in this. And it is such an important look. Um, however you splice and dice the world, however you want to look at the world right now, I hope you can see the spiritual war that we are in for the sovereignty of mankind, the, the hearts, the minds, the souls, the spirits, the bodies of the human species, hue as in light, man made in the image of God. The Adamic Adam seed lineage versus the serpentine seed lineage and all that encompasses what we're in right now. This podcast explains the origins. It Ali goes into so much um, uh, breaking down of the language. And at the end, um, I had some insight of the word lie that uh, I'm going to do a separate podcast on because I think it's so uh, important that we dive into this. But the words, words that you say, hear, read, speak, and think all matter. So everybody, without further delay, here is Ali for part two. Well, so nice to have Ali Siatatan back, uh, founder of thinkagainstproductions.com. Ali, thank you. Uh, our first conversation was awesome. I loved it. I thought about the vehicles of light, the chariots of fire. Um, had great feedback and excited to get into it more. Now we're talking about the sons of God, the Nephilim, the, the gods of this world. Um, and all sorts of stuff. So take us, take us through part two. Now, where, where are we at in the storyline? Um, yeah. So, you know, this, this whole, I had a UFO sighting and then that made me think, well, what does the Bible have to say about this reality? And, and that took me to all the passages in the Bible, the, the chariots of fire of Elijah, et cetera, and realizing that angels, you know, um, are described in a very different way in the pages of scripture than in our cultural imagination. Uh, and uh, this doesn't mean that it's 20th century technology like Captain James T. Kirk. It's a mystery, but at least you can connect these two dots. Okay, so this aspect of reality is actually also documented within the pages of scripture, mm. since the Bible points in, uh, to the world in which we live. It talks about cities and nations that have existed. It talks about the future of the world in which we exist. 
you would think something so huge um, would also be in there, and it is. It just the Bible understands us as being in the heavens and on the earth, mm. and there is the host of the heavens and the host of the earth, and God in the midst of it all. And what exactly is this heavens? It will incorporate the sky, the universe, and the temple, the heart of time and space where God is, where in the book of Hebrews the Messiah ascended to. Uh, but exactly what is this thing we're inside of? We don't really know. How does it all connect together? It's layers. How does one travel from one you know, heaven to the next? Well, we know we've got airplanes and rockets, but really we just throw little things outside the planet and they kind of come back in. The whole thing is, is a huge mystery to us. Um, so yeah, we don't know what these things are and how they operate, but the reality of their existence confirms the biblical account. Mm. And the biblical account then sheds light on uh, the mystery of, of the UFOs. So as I started to look into this, um, the, um, um, one of the revelations that came was concerning the gods of the nations, mm. um, which also are documented as having these flight capabilities. I don't know if people may have uh, heard about this book uh, written by Von Donneken, The Chariots of the Gods. Mm, yep. It was a very famous book, and it's part of this whole school of thought. They call themselves the ancient astronaut mm. theorists, uh, and they believe that aliens are visiting the Earth now, but they also visited us in the past, yeah. and they point to all of this architecture that's very advanced, as the as the evidence and then they point to all these accounts um well i don't adhere to that school of thought because i ended up having a biblical view and i'm going to take you guys through how that happened mm. this was in 1996 1997 where this huge amount of is coming from the lord to us and one day um as we're talking about the nephilim which are now known i mean yahoo was the search engine of the world. Google wasn't invented yet. And I put in Nephilim in Yahoo and it said zero search results found. Mm. So it, it was something that we were studying through books because no one was talking about it. But one day, you know, I came in to, to this small uh, group of people that we were, we were studying the word of God and serving the Lord in this specific context and community. Um, and um, the gentleman who was the teacher, he said, you know, I know where the throne of Satan is. And I said, really, you know, where is the throne of Satan? Uh, you know, suddenly the angelic world become more real to us uh, because of all of this study. And we could take it very literally, you know, and it was like, okay, where is the throne of Satan? And well, he said, it's in the city of Pergamum. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how did he find that out? He says, well, it says right here in Revelation chapter two, you know, there are seven letters that Jesus writes to seven congregations. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're kind of buried in the book of Revelation, so we don't realize that you know the Lord also wrote letters like the apostles did, mm. because they're inside of this you know funny little book that no one really ever studies. And so, in the uh, letter to the church of Pergamum, the congregation of Pergamum, um, he says that I know where you live, where Satan's throne is, um, and where my witness. Um, Antipas, you know, was 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 martyred. Uh, where Satan's throne is, he the Lord mentions that statement twice. Uh, the idea that Satan's throne is in Pergamum, mm. um, and so I'm um, just looking for it right now, very quickly. To the angel of Messiah's community in Pergamum, write: Thus says the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you live, mm. where Satan's throne is. Yet you continue to hold firm to my name 
and you did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan resides. Mm. And it was like, okay, the throne of Satan, I'm like, okay, well, I'm gonna have to go look into Pergamum. And um, the, uh, I was a graduate student at, at the University of Toronto and I had access to you know, Canada's most advanced library system. And I looked up Pergamum and it kind of sent me to the Library of Archaeology, basically. There's a museum uh, called the Royal Ontario Museum and it's connected to the University of Toronto campus mm. and it has its own library. And I went there and um, I found that there was an altar to Zeus in the city of Pergamon. It was dug up by Carl Heumann, a German engineer turned archeologist. And then I found the notes of Carl Heumann. And he said, if there was anything there in that city that the Christ was mentioning, was referring to. So he actually had looked into the wow. Bible. He said, it must've been the altar of Zeus because that was the main architectural uh spiritual pagan thing that was there like right, right and all of these seven cities were all centers of the worship of the gods they were in fact the, the religious centers of the greco-roman world all mm. seven of them mm. each had something going whether it was the cult of emperor worship like in sardis or whether it was the you know the, the cult of diana in ephesus that paul gets you know in, in trouble for um, or the worship of Zeus. Uh, this was the main altar um, in the entire Greco-Roman world. Sacrifices were being offered 24 hours seven from the entire empire. And the empire saw itself as bringing the Jupiterian world order into place. Uh, and, and I'm gonna get into the, that, that whole so fascinating. Idea. I have a question about this for you. I wanna get your thoughts on something. So please keep going, but this is fascinating. Yeah. So, so, so I photocopied that um, page, the writings of Carl Heumann, and I, and I took it back. I said, you know, the archaeologist who dug up Pergamum agrees with you that hmm. there was something here that could be understood as the throne of Satan. That was the altar of Zeus. And so then the thought came to our mind, is, is, if this is true, um, is the Lord making a connection between the leader of the fallen angels and the leader of the gods, hmm. you know, the Zeus. Is that what we are to understand? Is, is somehow the Holy Spirit leading us to create like a parallel in our minds? Is that what's happening? You know, Antipas, when he was killed, so I discovered that the symbol of Zeus was a bull, hmm. a bronze bull, and the, the priests of Zeus accused Antipas of promoting monotheism. And so the monotheism of Abraham, and which was illegal. And so they um, brought him into the altar, the temple, and then they um, placed him in the bronze bull, and which was designed for sacrifice. And they lit a fire under him, and they burned him slowly in that brazen bull. Uh, historians record that, so the bull comes to life in its nostrils as the person that's being uh, cooked inside of it begins to cry out in pain. And, and so Zeus is satisfied, um, but it, historians record that until his last breath, Antipas prayed for his congregation, mm. being the leader of, of the church of Pergamum. And, you know, his, his name was 
immortalized in Holy Scripture in a letter written by, you know, the Son of God himself. So, you know, so the, um, that's the story of Antipas. But that was kind of seemed very dark in itself that, uh, you know, um, when, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Albert Speer, um, who was the architect of Hitler, um, when Carl Heumann dug up the altar of Zeus, he, he brought it to Berlin and they built a museum for it and they put the entire altar back together. And Albert Speer, he went and saw it and he fell in love with it. And so he decided to create a large version of the altar of Zeus for Hitler in the city of Nuremberg. And where the bull was, he placed the microphone where Hitler stood. Wow. And then, and then he put all of these army lights around that area because Hitler said that he wanted it to be like a Catholic mass, the yearly gathering at Nuremberg, a spiritual experience of sorts. And all these, the soldiers were all drugged. And, and so Albert Speer created what is called the Cathedral of Lights, the Cathedral of Lights. And so he put all these army lights uh, at 12 meters apart from each other. And when he lit them up, it looks like pillars of light going up into the sky all around. And then the front of it is the altar of Zeus. And, and then Hitler stood where the bull was, that's where the microphone was placed. And this from there that he uttered the Nuremberg laws and declared wow. another burnt offering like Antipas's offering um, to, to perhaps thwart the fulfillment of prophecy that would undo the imperial system of the world and usher in the messianic kingdom. Um, and he was one of the 1000 year Reich and, and a new, you know, people to represent that uh, than the messianic vision of the prophets of Israel. So, so they might, if he was in fact, you know, haunted by some dark spiritual forces, mm. they like to keep their language consistent. You know, they, this was an important, you know, altar and it is in the city of berlin the actual altar is, is in the actual city of berlin in das museum di berlin it was called das museum di pergamum like in the island of the the museum island there's also the gates of ishtar in the same museum like next to it the gates of babylon through which the prophet daniel traveled as a teenage boy uh, going to Ju from judea to babylon um and so the gates of ishtar are there the altar of Zeus is there and you know and so Berlin becomes in that sense the new Rome you know yeah. and and from Germany rises the Holy Roman Empire uh, which kickstarts the second phase of, of of the Roman story of which we are still you know in the throes of that of yes. that second wave and, and the symbol of Zeus the eagle is then put on all the flags from Moscow to DC and so we are still kind of in that fourth imperial you know uh story uh, of of the bible's you know empires uh, if people are familiar with nebuchadnezzar so this was an interesting discovery and i thought okay well who was zeus well zeus was one of the gods so is god making a connection between the gods and the fallen angels is that is that the me is that the message that's being kind of broadcast to us mm -hmm. So I started to look into this gods and actually that's when i went into the ancient astronaut theorists there was a guy, his name was Zachary Sitchin, whose ideas I don't endorse nor agree with, but I would, I can use people's research, you know, uh, as a means to, to an end to, to, to look into something, right? Yeah, yeah. 
and and so I started to read his writings, and um, he talked extensively about the uh, uh, Iloni, uh, which is the Akkadian term for the gods, uh, mm -hmm. the the gods of Mesopotamia. And I realized that most of the um, so just to keep it short, he made the gods very real. I realized that his research really clarified that the, there were real beings yes. with which the cultures were having contact. And, um, but as far as who these beings were, you know, and how much would I to understand them, I was going to consult, you know, the Bible. So th by this, by this time as the research going, you know, a few years has gone by, I've had my UFO sighting around in 1999 and now we're like in 2000, um, 2001 in that period of history. And, um, there was a computer program called ESOR that had just come and, I was uh, leading Bible studies on Saturdays, and one of my uh, students, he had put this on my computer. I was like, oh, you should have this e-sword. It's good. And I was like, okay. And I realized that, hey, you can actually isolate any word in the Bible, and it'll give you a, a Bible-wide search. Cool. And so I thought, okay, let me see what the Bible has to say about the gods. So I put in the word gods and I clicked, you know, search, and then it gave me all the results. And I just said print, thinking literally, I wasn't paying attention. I was like, I'm just going to print. I'll get like five or six pages, maybe two or three. I don't know. How, how much could the Bible say about the gods? And then I just started to print and I'm watching the printers going and going and going. And I'm like, so there's close to 1,000 verses mm. in the Bible that talk about the gods of the nations. Yeah. It is a very important topic of yeah. the Bible. And to make a to make a uh, insert here, and I, and it's not a Bible version uh, conversation, but one of the things I like about the King James Bible is it keeps the term "Most High" when yes. it relates to God, denoting that there is the Most High God, and then there are the gods, and right. that's an important yeah. distinction. I think when people in Christianity, especially, is like, well, there are no there are no other gods. No, God says you shall have no other gods he didn't say there are no other gods right yes in fact one of the titles of god i realized uh, like for instance deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 17 is god of gods mm -hmm. that is one of the name of gods yeah El ha Elohim, mm -hmm. god of gods adon ha adonim lord of lords yes and it was like god of gods how could god be the leader of mythological beings right so I was like, I was very surprised that there were so many passages. So I just, you know, put them all on my disc and I still have the printout I made over, you know, they've become very cool. like, you know, they're, that's they're awesome. kind of like used and everything. Yeah. But I sat down in one shot and I read all of it. And you know, when you're, you have a beam of light because the, because the words of the Bible like beams of light, it takes scales to fall off mm. and you see things you'd never noticed before. As I started to read these passages, God stands in the congregation of the gods. He judges among the gods. You know, he, he, understands, he stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Um, and among the gods is none like you. The Lord is great, a great king above all gods. Mm. Um, the Lord is great and great to be feared uh, among, uh, above all the gods. Um, it goes on to say that the gods should worship God, like they're chastised. They are told, you know, worship him, all ye gods. Mm. That's from the book of Psalms. Um, 
he, God is called the God of gods, and at the, um, the gods are judged, like in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, where, um, you know, it says, For the Egyptians buried all their firstborn, which the Lord had smitten among them. Upon their gods also the Lord executed judgment. That mm -hmm. is in Numbers 33. It remembers the story of Exodus, where in Exodus 12, God says, I'm going to come tonight. You know, not an angel, but, you know, him, God, myself, and I'm going to go into Egypt and I'm going to judge the gods of Egypt. Mm -hmm. Right. And I thought, well, God can't judge mythological beings or the figment of the imagination of the Egyptians. Right. The the sorcerers of Egypt did miracles to, yep. to imitate. Right. You know, the, right. uh, and Paul names two of them, which obviously in Jewish tradition, he had access to documents we don't have where he knew the names of these guys because they're not mentioned in the books of Moses by name, but their deeds are mentioned. Mm. And, um, and God is referenced as being amongst these guys, as judging them, meaning ruling them, but also judging them as in uh, delivering justice. Um, they're chastised, they're, they're admonished, they're told to worship God. Mm. Um, and so uh, there are many, many, many other passages. Basically, I found three different meanings uh, for the word that is at the basis of the word uh, uh, gods. And so uh, once I read it in one shot, I realized, wait a second, the Bible is telling me that these beings that were behind the various nations of the earth were actually real beings. Mm -hmm. Now what, I, what all the evidence that I'd gathered about the relationship that existed between uh, so, you know, the birth of civilization and these guys. Now I could take it more seriously because the early civilizations of Mesopotamia, the earliest cities of the world, claimed that the incredible knowledge that they received that was at the basis of the world order as we know it to this day, architecture, mathematics, medicine, um, writing, religion, the decrees yeah. of the gods, that this all was handed to them. And, and and they received it as a form of revelation. And then there was the leader who was set up, the the, the um, shepherd, sometimes they called him, uh, to shepherd the people for the gods. He was a king and a priest. And that is how societies organized. Uh, the first cities of the, of the world were born because there was a change in the way that the world was organized mm -hmm. from patriarchy and tribes to um, being centered around these priest kings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they had these ziggurats, which were ancient temples in Mesopotamia built for their gods. And the, now the shepherd or of the gods or the priest king had to then now deliver the law of the gods. Um, like the Code of Hammurabi is a famous version of that where the god Shams, who's uh, known by Apollo, by the time we get to the Greeks, he decrees this code of law, and Hammurabi, the king, is going to, you know, administer it. Now, Hammurabi is an Amorite, mm -hmm. and the Amorites are counted in the Torah and the books of Moses as one of the tribes of the Nephilim. Mm -hmm. So they're, they don't have a progeny. They're not in the list of nations, which is in Genesis chapter 10, there's a list of 70 nations that are to be seen as the archetype of the concept of nations in the Bible, that they all are real people that go back to Noah's various children, and they have created early cities in Mesopotamia and the south of Iran and in north of Iran that are documented by archaeologists. These are not, you know, things we don't know about. We do know about it, right. you know, and so we know about these cities that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 10 and 
um, we have found many of the cities, in fact, that are mentioned as being founded by Noah's children and grandchildren. Mm. But the Amorites do not have a line. There is no, none of these 70 families goes to the Amorites. Mm. The list of the Nephilim tribes is mentioned uh, in several places in the Bible, and they have no uh, progeny. They're mentioned, they're mentioned as the list of tribes that live in this land of Canaan um, to Abraham mm. that God is going to deliver to him. And then they're documented when the children of Jacob arrive to take the land. And the Amorites are presented as this tall, very tall beings. And they then form an entire empire that pours out of Anatolia, from Canaan into Anatolia, into northern Israel, into Turkey, and south into Iraq. And eventually, one of them, Hammurabi, takes over the center of the world, Babylon, and then brings into the world the laws of Apollo or Shams. Mm. And so th this, this idea that Moses goes up on top of a mountain and receives a code that becomes the basis of the Hebrew civilization, and then Christianity takes those laws and propagates it to all the nations. And so the commandments of, of the God of Israel now fill the earth uh, over the course of centuries. This is the story of the birth of all the civilizations. Muhammad receives a revelation, and in a, and Islam is born, which then you know conquers the um, uh, Persian and Greek world and sets up the Islamic Caliphate, right. run by the laws of Allah, which is a, a revelatory code too complex for Muhammad to have just you know come up with on his spare time. Right. Um, and this is the story of the birth of civilization going as far as the Code of Hammurabi, the Vedic text of India, um, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, um, the Avesta of the Zoroastrians. At the basis of all the civilizations is the algorithms uh, handed down by the gods. That becomes the foundation of each civilization. Mm. It gives us an understanding of right and wrong, of who this deity is, how to connect to it. And it energizes and empowers the kings that are now to present this, you know, spiritual force and, and bring about, you know, a civilization based on these algorithms. So, so the story of Israel receiving a code is not a unique story. This is the story of the birth of all the civilizations. So as the Greeks used to say, and I'm sure it's a saying older than the Greeks, that civilization was a gift of the gods. And it's exactly how our ancestors recorded the birth of civilization mm. and so um, the um, um, there was a guy and his name um, was uh, what was his name um, Gordon Child he was a archaeologist in the 1920s and you know Mesopotamian archaeology went from basically 1843 to 1934 that was like the golden age of Mesopotamian archaeology and when this was discovered, because they found the oldest city, Eridu, which is, you know, 6,000 years old, or perhaps even older, 7,000 years old, in the south of Iraq, and it already had pillars and a temple and, mm -hmm. you know, advanced knowledge, no matter how deep they dug. Mm -hmm. And they thought, well, how is this possible? You'd figure things would get more primitive. In fact, the older cities in the south of Mesopotamia, in the land of Shinar, where the Bible says Noah and his sons, you know, settled, had more uh, knowledge than the cities of the north and it was the cradle of the mesopotamian civilization and it was like wow, where did they get knowledge from so when they looked into the libraries of mesopotamia and we were able to read their writings and it's a long story as to how 
but we're able to read their writings. Um, they uh, basically we we were able to back engineer from Hebrew into Akkadian, and from there uh, we found the library of Ashurbanipal in Nineveh. He was the late last king of the Assyrian Empire until 612 BC. And he, in his library, had created a lexicon to be able to read the sacred texts from the earliest cities in the south of Iraq. And he said that the God of the scribes had blessed him by allowing him to read the writings from before the flood. Mm. And so he was, there was lots of flood stories. So, yeah. so using his lexicons, we were able to read the writings of the first civilization and the oldest cities. And they then in their writings said that we received this knowledge from the gods like the, you know, let's say, for instance, Gudia, the king of Lagash, he receives a dream, and it's a very interesting dream, like the dreams of King Nebuchadnezzar or the Pharaoh of Egypt. Mm -hmm. It's in that caliber. He's the king of Lagash, and he goes to an interpretive dream, and, and he's told that the god, and I forget the name, it's got an elaborate uh, Sumerian name, Ninurtu, wants him to build a temple. And what he has received in the dream is the architecture of this temple. Mm. And there's a statue of Gudia that is in the British Museum of Civilization where he's sitting on a chair, it's, and there in, on his laps is the plan the way that Moses received the architecture of the temple or Solomon, you know, received the architecture of the temple. So did Gudea. Mm -hmm. And so then he put the workforce together and he built the ziggurat, uh, the, the temple for this God. So stories like this, there was the knowledge at the heart of each civilization was the laws of the gods. Mm -hmm. And then there was other types of knowledge. And this was um, something that I was already familiar with because before this, you know, revelation into this whole idea of the gods, I had studied um, the Nephilim, and the Nephilim lived before the flood. That's the first time they come on the stage of history. And there is a book we have called the Book of Enoch that is mentioned by Jude in one of his letters. And in the 1990s, um, and I found a Book of Enoch, and uh, there was a prophecy that Jude quotes in the Book of Enoch, which gave me confidence to read this book, I was like, okay, wow, it's the same. And so in the book of Enoch, um, these sons of God, uh, which are mentioned in the book of Genesis, um, but the book of Genesis gives us just a small, quick version of what happened because it has a lot of information to cover. But Enoch lived at that time, and mm -hmm. he then elaborates. And so seven of these guys uh, are mentioned by name. Well, there's more than seven mentioned by name, but there are seven who gave seven bodies of knowledge they corrupted the world by the knowledge they sowed into it. And this knowledge is the knowledge uh, that we would consider to be the knowledge uh, of, of science. So let me just see if I have a book of Enoch handy, because it's nice to, to read it. Yeah. Um, so the... The Book of Enoch. Yeah. And um, so it says that um, Azazel taught men to make swords, knives, shields, breastplates, the fabrication of mirrors and workmanship, bracelets, and ornaments, the use of paint, 
for the beautifying of the eyebrows, the use of stones are very valuable and kind and all sorts of dyes so that the world became altered. Mm. So he taught warfare, um, and then the weapons of warfare. And that's why I think in the Isaiah says that the swords will be turned into plowshares mm. in the Messianic kingdom. I think God is directly speaking against the corruption that this fallen angel sowed into his world. Mm. Impiety increased, fornication multiplied, and they transgressed and corrupted all their ways. Amzarak taught all the sorcerers and dividers of roots. And the word for sorcery in Greek is pharmaceutica, mm-hmm. pharmakeia. Armers taught the solution of pharmakeia. Barakayel taught the observers of the stars. Akibel taught signs. Tamiel taught astronomy. And Asradel taught the motion of the moon. And men being destroyed cried out, and their voice reached to heaven. So the knowledge that was handed down, you know, like let's say Cain, he built a city for his son. That means he had knowledge of geometry and architecture. So the earth was seeded with life and the life was seeded with knowledge, whether it's the commandments given to Moses, whether it's the uh, codes given to the various, whether it's the Quran, whether it's this knowledge before the flood. So there was a huge amount of evidence in the writings of the nations, in the writings of the Bible, and in the writings such as the Book of Enoch, that knowledge was handed down to the human race, you know, like the Romans are living their life, Jesus comes, you know, from heaven to earth, and then his words alter the fabric of Roman civilization. Once again, a heavenly word, you know, creates the algorithms of knowledge in the human world. What do you think about this, Ali? This is one of the things I want to ask you. So we have the Hebrew name for Jesus, which is Yeshua, Yahushua. In fact, Rabbi uh, Yitzhak Kaduri, the famous rabbi who was Benjamin Netanyahu's rabbi in Israel, said he was shown the Messiah appeared into him and he revealed, he wrote it down and he revealed it after he died, the Messiah's name. And he said, Yehoshua is the Messiah. Right. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, what at least what, um, who wrote, uh, one of the trans translators who came out with the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Christian myth, um, he said that there was Yeshua, there was his name was Joshua, the teacher of righteousness, the leader of the Essenes, and 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 uh, his name would be Joshua in English. So I went down this study with this person that said Jesus actually means Hail Zeus, and right. it is the Jupiter, um basically pronouncement of Jupiter reigning in place of Saturn worship, which is Satan. And you have the Kabbalah, you have the black cubes, you have the Teflim that like the black cube worship of the, basically the moon, the lunar system. And then you have raw, the sun system. And then you, and so is, I've been wondering like, is Jesus like, this might sound as blasphemous as blasphemous, and I don't mean it. I'm honest, uh, honest question. When did we get the word Jesus as the name versus why don't we say Joshua, uh, Hamashiach, the Messiah? It, you know what I'm saying? Like, it seems, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, Jesus. okay. Yes. So, so, the word Yeshua, um, uh, means you know, uh, God saves, yeah, yeah, and it's mentioned. You know, like, let's say, for instance, in the Old Testament, it'll say God is the Savior of Israel. Mm-hmm. It'll say God is the Yeshua of Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and often you hear Orthodox 
uh, people praying in Hebrew, and then in the middle of their prayers, they're often saying Yeshua, Yeshua, and it's like it's it's kind of funny. Um, big, the idea was that this is a, they didn't realize this was going to be actually a person. Right. It's not just a concept of a quality of God. It's actually God is the Savior, literally. So when Gabriel says to Mary, "Call your son Yeshua," because he will Yehoshua his people, mm -hmm. it it makes sense in Hebrew, right? You know, call yes. your you know Savior because he will save his people. In English, you know, when it says, "So how did Yeshua become Jesus?" Well, Yeshua. The Greeks, they didn't have sh, that's, and they didn't take the um, A as the end of masculine names. So they simply took the A off, and then they, they said Yesu. Mm. And then the Latin, the Ye in Latin became J, like in some Spanish, uh, let's say you'll say, I don't know, Yo means I in Spanish, but let's say in Colombian other places, they'll say Jo, because Y and J are interchangeable. Mm. So Yeshua became Yesu to the Greeks and Jesus to the Romans. It's okay. just the same word. It's the same Hebrew word, Yeshua. When we say Jesus, we're saying Yeshua. We're just pronouncing it in the Greco-Roman pronunciation. Mm. The way that when we say John, yeah. it's the English pronunciation of Yohanan. Yeah. Or when we say Matthew, it's the English pronunciation of Matatyahu. Right. Or when we say Moses, the Greek pronunciation of Moshe. Yeah. Etc. Or when we say Persian, it's the Greek pronunciation of farce. Right. So we say Isaiah, it's the Greek pronunciation of Yeshigahu, etc. So we tend to pronounce things in the Greek that mm. are Hebrew words, but it hasn't been altered. The word Messiah, which means anointed one, has mm. actually been translated into Greek as Christus, right. which means anointed one, you know, in Greek. Right. But Jesus is just the Greek pronunciation of the Hebrew Yeshua. So it mm -hmm. hasn't actually been translated. The word in English or in the Latin languages that points to Zeus is Dieu. In French, Dios in Spanish. Mm. That term is, in fact, referring directly to Zeus. That's where it comes from. Um, but, you know, uh, we don't think about it that way. When, in those Latin languages, that term means God. What was the um, word? What was the word before you said Dios? Dio? Dio? Dio is the French word for Dios. D-I-E-U-X or D-I-E-U if it's the singular. Fascinating. Yeah. So, so you had kind of these guys. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And I noticed that when I was looking at these notes I had, I noticed that there was numbers um, on top of each word, and I scrolled on the numbers, and it was the uh, Strong Hebrew English Dictionary uh, word. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I noticed that each time it said, you know, it had this term gods, like here I have said, ye are gods, mm -hmm. like in Psalm 86, 82 or 6, it said 430 on top. And also I noticed in the singular, um, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty, even though it's singular, it also says 430. So mm. the plural, gods of the nations, and the singular, the God of Israel, it had the same Hebrew term mm. in this Hebrew English dictionary. And I thought, okay, what is that term? So I clicked on it and, and it said Elohim. And I was like, oh, Elohim. So I looked up, you know, the word Elohim. It's one of the names of God in the Bible. It's plural because I am at the end makes things plural, mm. Elohim. 
And that's why, and so sometimes it refers to the God of Israel, mm. but it also refers to the gods of the nations. Mm. And I thought, wow, the same word refers like Elohim Hamitzchayim, the gods of Egypt, you know? And so, so, so for instance, here when it says um, in Psalm 82, verse one, God stands in the congregation of the mighty, the word is Elohim. Elohim stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Mm. Again, it's among the Elohim. And I was like, okay. And and so this this idea that these beings, you know, were over the nations, that God was chastising them, and and this idea that Zeus was was the leader of the Greek pantheon, but there was always a pantheon of twelve going back to the earliest of pantheons. The storm god was usually the leader. And it was okay, so it seems that you know there's a division among the fallen angels, and if, if Zeus is in fact Satan, if that's what the Lord is saying, and these beings are the fallen angels, now that's why you know they're chastised, they're told by God to it. But it's interesting that they're called by the same name as God. And so I realized that what Elohim in the Bible can mean God, but also can refer to angels. Like, like, you know, in the term, like in that very famous psalm where it says that man was made a little bit lower than the angels. Yeah, psalm 8, yeah. The world, the word is Elohim. That's why if you go and, let's say, go to Bible Hub and bring out all the translations in English, you'll see there's many translations that say man was made a little lower than God. Mm. Because it can be translated in both ways. Mm. It's the translator that, it, that decides, you know, whether it's going to, in that case, it means angels or God. And in fact, if you say that man was made a little bit lower than God, it comes into harmony with the destiny that the Bible assigns to the human race to judge the angels, in the words of Paul, mm. in the heavenly Jerusalem as the king's priesthood at the heart of creation. Mm. So, so there is this kind of, you know, uh, harmony in that transition. So regardless, I thought this was interesting. So the word Elohim, you know, has this uh, meaning. It means the gods of nations. Now, later on, I, I discovered that, at least in Hebrew thought, Elohim was the name that, of God that represented God as the ruler of, of, of things, of structures, as the head of things. And so this word could apply to the head of nations, the gods of the nations. It could even apply to the head of tribes and elders and heads of families. And so the reason it's plural is because God is the leader of all the structures of order and governance in, in the creation. Mm. And, and so that's how the Hebrew mind had understood the plurality of this word. But in this case, you know, when he says, thou shall have no other gods before me, again, the word is Elohim. Thou shall have no other Elohim before me. Mm. And that was the word the Mesopotamians used to, to, for their gods, Eloni, you know, that they are the Eloni had given them all this knowledge, right? Mm. And so I was okay. So these guys are real. They are they are used by the same. So now, when it said, for instance, that God is the leader, the El of the Elohim, like in Deuteronomy chapter ten, verse seventeen, El Ha Elohim, He's the leader, the mighty of the mighty ones. Mm. He's the leader of these beings, of these angels, of these Elohim, the Lord of Lords, Adon Ha Adonim. And so it was okay. So so God is now seen as the leader of these guys, but they are all in fact called Elohim. Mm. For instance, in Psalm 67, when it talks about the chariots of God, mm. you know, it says the Rechev Elohim. And I believe the term there should have been angels because God is as at Mount Sinai, it says with thousands upon thousands of his angels and their chariots, 
The chariot of God is actually mentioned in Isaiah 66, verse 15. It's called Merkava. It's a different word used for what he writes. Ezekiel has a vision of it. Then what the angels write, which is called Rechev, like the one that Elijah took, the Rechev Elohim. So, so the word Elohim can also mean angels. It can also mean God. And it is the term that was used for the gods of the nations. And this is very controversial. I remember, you know, sitting with a church elder, he wanted to know about this, and I said to him, okay, so it starts with understanding the word Elohim. That's the key. It means sometimes God, and sometimes it refers to the gods of the angels, mm -hmm. uh, to the, sorry, to the gods of the nations. Mm -hmm. it, it's the same word. And he stopped me. He said, I'm sorry, I can't accept that. And the conversation ended right there, mm -hmm. because it didn't matter. what I was like, no, wait, I have my notes. I can show it to you from the Bible. He was interested, because... How could the name, the same term, be used for these polytheistic pantheons? And then you turned him to the verse, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and he, he was just too much for him. Yeah. And, and, and so then I thought, okay, so this is interesting. How do I – so now I see that the nations had these beings over them, which are called the Elohim of the nations, and God is called the Elohim of Israel, and the way that God gave knowledge and chose kings and – gave law and building of temples, so did these other beings to their, you know, civilizations. And this is how the world took shape. And suddenly, this is why civilization was born suddenly, right? And um, uh, there was a guy, his name was Gordon Child. He was an archaeologist. And, you know, in this copy of National Geographics, um, they, they talk about him. And basically... Once the Mesopotamian archaeologists dug up all this knowledge about the birth of civilization being the source born of revelation, uh, the way that we see it before the flood, we see it again after the flood, um, they couldn't accept that explanation because it was supernatural. Mm. And, and they especially, they believed that all of these beings were mythological beings. Mm. So Gordon Child provided an explanation that synthesized the discovery of his colleagues. He himself was a Stalinist, like he was a, St a disciple of Stalin. Mm -hmm. He was from Austria. He was a Marxist. Mm -hmm. And he said, a great synthesis, child wove together his colleagues' disconnected facts into an overarching intellectual scheme. He basically said, look, well, this is what happened. There was Homo sapiens. Then they had one of them, or maybe several of them, had a coup de génie, a spark of light, and they discovered farming. Mm. And once they discovered farming, they sat around, they didn't have to run after their food, and so they could think. And they came up with mathematics and architecture and medicine and temple building and the laws of the gods. And this is how the whole thing came to be. And this was adopted as the official explanation and then propagated through the university system. This is how civilization was born. It was just man, you know, having time on its hand to think. Mm. But the bodies of knowledge at the base of civilization are far too advanced. I mean, the Babylonians have theoretical mathematics, and they're too sudden in appearance. And then we have not only the testimony of all the nations as to how they got this knowledge in their own words, but we also have the testimony of the words of God. Right. So, so this was just the, the idea of one man has shaped our entire understanding of how this whole thing came to be, the birth of civilization. And not to mention that 
there's a documentary online somewhere. I've seen it. Um, the giants that in like night in 18, after the civil war, 1868 or something like that, there was a national science uh, convention in Denver, um, in the United States. And they had slides showing giants and giant bones. And there was no, um, in fact, George Washington's troops in Virginia dug up a 16 foot giant skeleton. They're giants that we've known humanity has known prior to this reset of knowledge through Marxism yes. and, and exactly. Darwinianism and that, that that was the reset saying that we came from nothing void to uh, arrive at this place but that's simply yes. not true and the and the Smithsonian is anytime they dig that's why they don't dig up the mounds the uh, serpent mound or any of the mounds in the United States because they find giant bones underneath all these so they have to hide it Yes. And, and real quick, Ali, because I'm excited for you. I know we're going to pivot. I want you to real quick share your organization so where people can find you because this information yes, is yes. amazing. Please. You can, you can go to my website, thinkagainproductions.com, sign mm. up for the newsletter, double click. You can watch my documentary for free. You can leave a donation. I appreciate it. At the bottom of the first page is a donate button. You can watch the documentary, leave a donation. It can be a one time donation or a recurring one. And if you double click on the documentary, it'll take you to my YouTube page where you can subscribe and watch other videos that I have there and I'll be putting up more. But one thing that I'm really excited about right now is my patron Patreon page. Awesome. Um, um, you know, Patreon slash dot com slash think again, where you can sign up and become, you know, a donor of, of any amount, depending on how the Lord has blessed you. I'm putting up an audio series in the book of Revelation, a chapter by chapter study of the book of Revelation. And I think that people would really enjoy that. So, so if you want to get yes, that, please, really everyone go check it out and support Ali because and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but this is a massive amount of knowledge. This is not just, uh, you know, everyone listening. Like I've Ali, my audience knows I've read the Bible seven times, cover to cover and every Bible version, every, you know, I've consumed this stuff to have this laid out it's not at a whim. So I honor you and I want people to understand this, you to lay this information out. So beautiful. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Thank you very much. It is, it is a lot of research and it took years. And, and the reason I tell the story of how we came to this is because I, God was leading it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you're reading things over and over again in front of you. You're never seeing it, but God kind of puts an idea in your head that dislodges an old one. And so I think God used the Pergamum temple and Zeus as a way of like challenging our understanding of the gods. And that opened the door mm. to where I'm taking you now. So once I realized that the word Elohim was the key, that there was a term that referred to the gods of the nations, referred to the God of Israel, and that these beings were chastised by, by God, judged by God, admonished to worship him, and that the nations attributed their birth to the revelation handed down by these beings that the Bible talked about as though they were real and named with the same name title that God received in the Bible. Mm. You don't just call anything by the name of God, right? And even the sons of God who come to have to create the giants, they're called Beneha Elohim. And Jesus you know, quotes Psalm 82, verse 6, where he says, you are called Elohim, meaning the people who receive scripture, you are called gods. You know, why is it, why can't I be this, even, was not Adam the son of God? Mm-hmm. Why is it, and I came from heaven directly, and in the Jewish mind, 
there was only one main inhabitant of heaven, which yes. was God. Yes. So it meant like, you know, I am the visible. So why would I not be called God if you guys were called that, if Adam was called that? And so the human race is the sons of God. These fallen angels are the sons of God. They, these beings that are over the nations were called by this. And then I noticed that the term Lord was often put there. For instance, in Psalm 95, third, three, for the Lord is a great God mm. and a great King above all gods. Yes. And so now I was like, where's the word Lord? And I underlined it because it said 3068. That was the strong Hebrew English dictionary code. And I got curious. And now I realized a lot of words that in English were just translated as Lord, God, God's God, that all said the same to my English reading mind in Hebrew were vastly different terms mm. that provided huge insight into that's actually what was being said. So I clicked on that and I realized, oh, that's the word Yahweh, the name that God you know, gave to himself at the burning bush when Moses said, you know, what is your name? People are going to ask me. He said, I am that I am. Mm. And so um, Yahweh, so I see, so it says Yahweh is a great God, Elohe. That's, I looked that up, it was number 410, and a great king above all the Elohim. Mm. So now it distinguished one of the Elohim and named it. Mm -hmm. so, the ter so the sentence was, Yahweh is the El of the Elohim. Yahweh is the God of gods. Mm. Now that's what it says, like in, in the book of Joshua and the book of Deuteronomy, Yahweh is the God of gods. Mm. In English, it says the Lord is the God of gods and Lord of lords, mm. right? But in Hebrew, it says Yahweh is the El HaElohim. Mm. He is the leader, the mighty one of these beings. Mm. And, and so now God was named and identified and, so, and, and contrasted. With, with the reality. And now as I realized, I see, so God is the leader of this whole thing. And that the book of Revelation says that one third of the angels, you know, rebelled against God. In the book of Job, we see the sons of God come to the presence of God and Satan is amongst them. Mm -hmm. So Satan is categorized with these beings. And I was like, yeah, but how does this all come together? Like, is there like a magical verse, you know, that ties this whole thing concept together? Where did this idea come from? Because the Bible just doesn't just create ideas out of the blue. It kind of has an architecture to its knowledge. And as I was thinking, there was a Bible teacher that I used to listen to a lot. I met him several times. I did private Bible studies with him. His name was Chuck Missler. Actually, mm. he's featured extensively in my documentary. Mm. And he was one of the only guys who would talk about the Nephilim and the sons of God. And he used to say um, that, you know, he would do all the passages where the sons of God are mentioned. And he would say, there's one more passage where the sons of God are mentioned, except you have to read it in the Septuagint, mm. the Greek Old Testament translation of the Bible into Greek. Mm -hmm. um, the Greek ruler of Egypt, Ptolemy, he mm. noticed that in the great library of Alexandria, um, there was uh, the laws of all the gods. Except right here. There you go. Except the laws of the gods of Israel. Mm. So he asked that that be added. And the reason these guys mm. had the laws of the gods in the libraries that were close to the house of rulership is because they re referred to them for mm. knowledge, for wisdom, for to honor. 
the gods, etc. And that's what the Library of Congress is in a way about. Like the lawmakers need knowledge and they go and get it. And so he and was real like, quick, and real quick, what, what the serpent says to Eve is you should not surely die for the day you're, you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened and you shall know good and evil. It was a knowledge that, that the serpent was giving knowledge to her, knowledge to make one wise, knowledge. And yes. so it was a duality of knowledge versus yes. the goodness of the knowledge that was present at the time. Yes, the sowing of perversion. Yes. And so the earth is seeded with life and the life is seeded with knowledge. And the UFO phenomenon and the chariots of the angels, for me, became the entry point to take all of this seriously. Yeah. I wasn't looking into myth. These were real beings. Yes. And I had seen one in the deserts of Iran. Yes. And then and now it was like putting what what's going on here? Who and what does the Bible say? How does the Bible divide the world? Okay, this is the angelic presence. Mm. And how is the angelic presence divided throughout history? If these ancient astronaut guys are telling us that these guys visited the past, and when I look into the libraries and I looked into it myself, I realized it's true. All the, uh, the evidence points to, to, to a continued presence of these beings, but then who are these beings? So then when I looked into the Bible and I saw the word gods, I realized that they are the fallen angels, that they're given the same title as the name of God, and God is presented as their leader. And now, so Chuck was like Septuagint. The Septuagint has a verse in it. And that verse is Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8 and 9. And he used to say, look, in all of the Bibles that we have, which are based on the Masoretic text, which is about a thousand years old, it's a Hebrew copy of the Old Testament, which is called the Masoretic text. And all the English translations of the Bible are based on the Masoretic text. And so when you look at Deuteronomy 32, verse 8 and 9 it says in all of the bibles that most people have when the most high gave to the nations their inheritance when he divided mankind he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of israel but the septuagint says he when he when the most high gave to the nations their inheritance when he divided mankind he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. Mm. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is a lot of heritage. Mm. And so this verse, I believe it was from God. Chuck's words poured into my mind once I was ready, once I completed my study of the concept of Elohim in the Bible and read all of this about the God. And I asked the question, how does it all come together? And Chuck's words came to my mind. So I ran my computer and to be honest that was the first time i ever opened the septuagint i looked it up and i was like wow it's there you know this verse is actually there and the moment i saw it the spiritual division now made sense so god had chosen jacob and had spoken through the prophets israel had chosen the kings of israel had given the architecture of the temple had himself become you know come in the line of judah and become a jew and walked among us but the nations were given into the hands of the sons of God, which was an idiom for the fallen angels. And they had then proceeded to create civilization for these other nations and deflect worship to themselves. And this was why God now spoke from Israel to the prophets of Israel 
he spoke concerning them. He didn't just speak concerning the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Persians. Or the, he also spoke of the gods, the, the other layer of reality. Well, even the name Israel, Isis Ra El, it's the god of all the lunar and solar systems. It's yeah, the god of gods. That, I guess. It, Israel usually is understood as, as you know something that strives with God, like the one that strives with God. Right, but the if you break the three components apart, ice, or right? Isis, yeah, Ishtar, yeah. You have the you have the female worship, the the feminine divine, all the the cults of the world, the night. You have the sun worshiping, and I think God is saying, "I am the ruler of through this people." We, that's why I can't judge all the nations. That's why he sits in the throne of David. That's like God comes and throw and judges all nations from this nation that he appointed himself. Right. So, so there is this spiritual division. And, and yeah. as I read this in the Septuagint, two other passages in the Bible clicked into place for me. One was Daniel chapter 10, where this angel comes from God to give a message to the prophet Daniel but the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece, the principalities behind the Persian Greek world, encounter him in battle. First, the prince of Persia for, mm. for 21 days. You know, he says that because it takes 21 days for him to get to Daniel. And he says, I had to call for backup. Mm. And Michael, you know, your prince came. And so there was like a principality behind Israel. And then there was one behind Persia. And then he says, I'm going to go and contend with the prince of Greece. So now I can understand that yes, behind the nations, there was this force. And then the passage in the temptations, uh, you know, of Christ, where um, Satan says to Jesus, all the dominion over all the kingdoms of the world has been given to me, and I will give them to whomever I will. So if you worship me, I'll give them to you. And, and Jesus says, you know, it's written only worship God, Satan behind me. So he kind of deflects the offer. He's, he's saying to him, I am controlling all of these empires. If you bring Israel to my side and worship me, you can have both. You can have Israel and you can have the nations, mm. the empires. And so this whole um, idea that, wow, so he really was behind these empires and they expressed through polytheism. Mm. Now they had these temples. That's why the early believers were crucified in the circus and given to animals or the story of Antipas being killed at the altar of Zeus because the gods were seen as the backbone of imperial power. Mm. And so these guys are, were now uh, at war with this, as the, the same way that the Passover lamb had freed the children of Israel from the gods of Egypt, starting with Cornelius, a centurion, the Passover lamb was now going to free all the nations from mm. bondage to the gods. Mm. Um, in um, about 10 years ago, I went to Israel and they, we went to Caesarea Philippi, which was the pagan center of worship in the north of Israel. And there, there was a massive cliff and there was many caves and out of these caves were altars and temples built to the gods of Rome. Mm -hmm. And there was one place, a giant hole that was filled with water back then, where you would tie your sacrifice and throw it. You would do your prayers to the gods, throw your sacrifice. If it went down, it meant the gods accepted your prayer. If not, it was rejected. Mm -hmm. And that was called the gates of Hades. That mm -hmm. was the name of that thing. So one day Jesus takes his disciples from Galilee, a one day walk to his cliff 
and he, he stands on top of the cliff with all the temples underneath it and he says who do, you, do people say i am and and there's a conversation there eventually peter says you're the messiah the son of god and jesus says you know no man gave you this idea and then he makes a declaration mm. upon this rock i will build my you know church uh my you know ecclesia uh my kehila and um the gates of Hayes won't overcome it now he's referring to the where he stands to the fact that a new spiritual order is about to rise mm. that this system of the worship of the gods is about to be diminished and you know his uh, kingship will now bring about a new order so as the Passover lamb is preached among the various nations, it frees them from the bondage to God. Like in Acts 26, Paul is ordered by Jesus uh, to go and free the Romans, you know, to say, I send you the Gentiles, to bring them from dark to light and from the power of Satan, you know, to fellowship with the living God. So he does mention this idea from Satan to God. So how, why were the Romans and the Gentiles under Satan? How did that work? So there was a structure, temples were built, laws were given, kings were chosen, and this is how a, a world was created that was given by God into the hands of the sons of God. And that's what the uh, book of Deuteronomy was saying in, mm. in the Septuagint, but not in the Masoretic, which was the basis of all the translations of the Bible in the modern world. So people didn't know about this. Mm. But now this suddenly clicked and that there was a spiritual division of the foundation of history when at the tower of babel the nations were born god gave them into the hands of the sons of god and eventually chose jacob for himself mm. and there was two competing realities and then after the time of jesus the lord began essentially the reclaiming of and so because god had said to abraham that in his seed the nations would be blessed and now that seed had come and the, and, the, and the nations, the families of the earth would be blessed. And now the families of the earth were called back to the fellowship with the living God and freed from the bondage of the rule of these beings. And that's how we entered gradually into the era of monotheism. That's why there's like 5,000, 4,000 years of documented polytheism. And then suddenly we enter into this new world where the spiritual landscape of humanity changes radically that is because a spiritual change occurred. The Lord did the atonement sacrifice and received the throne mm. as he ascended and, and the world order changed. And mm. so these beings now could fall as long as a person who lived under them pledged allegiance to the Messiah of Israel as their king, they would be freed from. And, and I guess the baptism is the pledge of allegiance. Yeah. And so... So now the whole thing came together. Um, uh, these guys had had offsprings among us. These offsprings had become kings, like Gilgamesh, the king of Uruk, mm. Minos, the the, the in Crete. Um, there is uh, Sihon and Og that, uh, mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy as two Nephilim kings. There is Hammurabi. Um, there is there's, there's also great warriors, Achilles. Hercules, yeah. these stories of hybrid beings that were the champions of the people. Exactly. And Goliath and his Goliath brother. Goliath being the biblical one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so they had, they had offsprings among us. They gave us the codes of civilization. They gave us competing worldviews. They deflected worship from God towards themselves. And they came and went in their chariots. And this was documented by all the nations and documented by the Bible. 
and then God changed this uh, spiritual order after the Passover lamb was offered to the nations to free them from bondage mm. from the gods, the way that they were judged with the Exodus and all that. So now I, I could see kind of a line of thought that went from the Garden of Eden to the 21st century, mm. where the Lord said that the end of this age would be like the days of Noah. And the days of Noah were the days of the Nephilim, the sons of God. So now I could see that this new uptick in the creation of modern day hybrids was in harmony with biblical prophecy and that the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2 that outlines the imperial order until the messianic kingdom says in I think it's verse 42-43 that they shall mingle their seed of the seed of man that it shall not adhere and the term they is the Hebrew plural pronoun uh, and so who are these days now there's a biblical context or if the lord says you know i put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent oh the seed of the serpent that's literal mm -hmm. or if in the parable of wheat and tares the lord says you know that god planted his seed in the garden and then the devil came and planted his seed this seed was not only his literal children but also mm -hmm. the knowledge that they gave that corrupted the world and ushered in you know these competing the spheres of thought yes and so and so this was now i could see an arch uh, 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 that was going from history to prophecy and today these same beings who had presented themselves as gods to the nations were now reinventing themselves as modern day gods or technological advanced aliens yes. who would come to act as our saviors because that is the propaganda of the ufo phenomenon from the early 50s that the saviors of the world have arrived. And that's what Antichristus means, the pseudo-Messiah. Mm -hmm. You know, we will be the saviors of the world. And and there's kind of more and more a uptick in, in talking about the UFOs in our world as they're preparing to put their own leader on the throne of, of the world as the God has said there'll be a final empire. Mm -hmm. And and the idea, the conjecture that that the coming armies of heaven that also will come like it says in these chariots like in these vehicles will be presented as an invading alien force mm. in, you know in the in this new world that may be ahead of us in which there is this you know ruler who is receiving power from the devil it says that in the revelation and his language is very much religious that's what mm. we see in the prophetic that he will speak against God and the inhabitants of heaven. So something we're not used to right now. And But it says that he does lying signs and wonders and makes fire come from the sky. So if he does make an alien connection that these guys have chosen me and they're going to shepherd us, but there's a problem, there's bad guys. So reality is fully reversed. The mm -hmm. good guys are presented as the bad guys. The bad yeah. guys are presented as the saviors of the human race. Yes, Because the Bible does say that the world will go to war against the second coming, you know, what we call the second coming, the great and terrible day of the Lord. So Armageddon with this cosmic climactic battle. Why would the world go to war against God? It's insane unless your perspective has been altered. Yes. And, and it says there's a great deception. So Chuck Messer and other people that I was interviewing for the documentary believed that this reversal of reality could be in the, and, I, and for me, I couldn't make the documentary until I, kind of figured out that there was a biblical precedent mm. that the devil provides worldview.
And that's once I discovered that, yes, these beings were real and had provided entire religions and huge worldview to the nations, going back to what you said, that the original mention of this is in the conversation between Satan and Eve, yes. where Satan declares mitzvot to Eve. So yes. what does he do? What did God say about this tree? You shall surely die. She repeats the commandment of God. So what does he do? He reverses the commandment of God. You shall not surely die. And you know what's interesting about this? He says, don't eat it, lest you surely die. And then he, and then she tells the serpent, God said, we shall not eat it, neither shall we touch it. Right. Lest we die. So she added in two, instead of just staying to what was said, don't eat it. Right. She added and said, we shall not touch it. And that's when Satan's like... <laughs> I got you. You should not die. Yeah, I got you. Right. And, and probably in her mind that he was one of the angels of God. You know, yeah. the, he was a shining creature. That's what it says. He, said he beguiled me. Yeah, there was an rapture. There was there was something enthralling in that. And yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, she had no reason to doubt him. She was innocent in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, and so he he reverses the commandment of God. You shall surely not die it's a lie mm -hmm. and but it's a very specific lie it reverses it nullifies the commandment of god and the perception of man you will become like one of the gods yes knowing you know good and evil and having this knowledge and so she then sees it as being good for food so her yes. perception is altered but what does he do he reverses the commandment and then injects his own commandment and so that becomes the blueprint of what these other worldviews do. They um, turn around. Jesus was the son of God. He was surely not the son of God. He was crucified for reasons. He was not crucified ever. Some religions will claim. It reverses the truth of God's word and then replaces it with an alternative. Hmm. That this was the blueprint of wherever I saw this in the nations coming from these decrees, I now knew where it came from because I had the blueprint mm. given at a time where humanity was very small. There was only like these guys as, as made the image of God. And so there was easily, you could easily see all the characters and voices. It was not lost in the multitude uh, of sound and noise, you know, and it gave us an understanding of a blueprint we could now apply to the revelation that was coming into the world. So I realized that all knowledge in the human world could be traced to four sources. One, knowledge that God gave the human race, mm. and, and that there's plenty of that, but most of it recorded in the Bible. Then there is the knowledge that the fallen angels gave to the human race, and there's plenty of that coming from the imperial system into the world. And then there is the knowledge that comes from man's own ability to think and reason. That is the third source of knowledge. And the fourth source of knowledge, which is the one that most of us operate in, in the metropolises of the world, is a braiding together of the first three forms of knowledge. Mm. And this is the sum total of the root of all knowledge. And that's mm. why, you know, Paul says you have to renew the spirit of your mind, because as you kind of familiarize yourself with the decrees of God, it then washes away all the other perspectives mm -hmm. and reorganizes your thinking 
according mm. to the true nature of reality. Mm. So very much there is deception. And that's why I call the documentary UFOs, angels, Malachim and Elohim, gods, UFOs, angels and gods. And for many, for decades, I got like basically the version of hate mail saying, why did you call them gods? You should have called them fallen angels. You should call them dem demons, devils. You know, in in First Corinthians, or um, yeah, in in, uh, in First Corinthians, uh, chapter ten, verse twenty, um, Paul. That's an actually an interesting passage to look at. Um, it so here, um, yeah. So Paul says, no, I imply um, you, are, you are not to eat the sacrifices. Um, Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. Mm. I do not want to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. Mm -hmm. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So he's saying that the gods of the Greek world that would have been sacrificed to in the marketplace in Corinth were in fact devils. Mm -hmm. And he's actually, as a Pharisee, quoting the book of Deuteronomy, if you keep reading chapter 32, it will tell you the same thing concerning the gods of Egypt. Mm. Paul is simply translating that to the gods of Greece. Mm. It's a continuation of the same phenomenon for Paul's thinking. And so this is, this is kind of, I feel like, why do you call them gods? Call them those? Because the Bible refers to them as Elohim. Yes. I was simply putting the biblical term Elohim there. Yes. And so in 2006, when we released the documentary, um, there was a new store that opened up near you know, where I worked and lived, and it only sold magazines. Mm. And I went and I started to look at it, and there was a magazine that caught my eye. It was called Biblical Archaeology. So I was like, I'll buy this one. I took it out, and suddenly this was the picture on it, and it's Satan's throne, it says. Wow. And I immediately saw what it was. I could... I'd been staring at this and reading everything about it. So I, I'm like, that's the altar of Zeus. Wow. The second I saw this picture and then I saw it says Satan's throne. I'm like, wow. wow. This is the year we're releasing the documentary that's coming of all this. I'm like, okay, I bought this. I ran back home, sat down to read it. And it is, this is the altar in the Museum of Pergamum. And it was a conversation with Adela Collins, a... Um, theologian from Yale uh, Theological Seminary. Mm. And she then went ahead and she explained that, yes, if there was anything of architectural importance, you know, in this must have been here. But then she turned her conversation to um, Deuteronomy 32, verse 89. As the, she said, when the Most High gave to each nation its heritage, declares Deuteronomy 32, verse 8, when he divided all my humankind, he laid down the boundaries for people according to the sons of Israel. A Dead Sea Scroll fragment containing this verse above, however, has the phrase the sons of God instead of the sons of Israel. Hmm. The Dead Sea Scroll fragment apparently retains a more original form of the text. The Septuagint, 
the third to second century BC translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek, also as Sons of God. The early church father, Justin Martyr, apparently used a text that preserved sons of God, believed that these sons of God were angels to whom God had entrusted the care of the human beings. So I was like, wow, she's not only mentioning the altar of Zeus as, as the throne of Satan, but she's going to Deuteronomy 32, and she then taught me something I didn't know, that not only was this uh, found in the Septuagint, but it was found in the oldest Hebrew copies of the scroll of Deuteronomy, the Dead Sea Scrolls, right. also said sons of God. Right. Now, now I have learned since then that there's a plurality of text in the Dead Sea Scrolls, that some say sons of Israel, some say sons of God, both exist in the Quran. Yeah. But that was like, this was a huge confirmation for yes. me that we were on the right track, the way that we were putting this information together. So I was relieved in my conscience because no one was talking about this. It was very recently that an American theologian um, by the name of Michael Heiser wrote a book called The Unseen Realm where he made the same exact argument concerning what Elohim, the, the plurality of these beings, God, the God of Israel over them, and Deuteronomy 32 verse 8 9 as the foundational verse that opens up the division in the worldview, the spiritual division between the nations and Israel. And, and, and then the whole thing became something people are finally talking about. And this was, you know, it was good for me because now I feel like, okay, it's good to get confirmation because if only one person understands something forever, it's a bit yeah. suspect. Yeah. You know, it's something, if it comes from God, then many people will agree with it and understand it and even come up with it. So That's this was good that other people are finally talking about this. But now I see, I saw an arch. So the world was divided after the flood in this way. The, the nations were given to the hand of the fallen angels. God chose Jacob. He mm. then came in the form of the Messiah. The Holy Spirit was given to the nations as the atonement sacrifice, the Passover lamb was offered. And that for a while created a pause in the imperial system as this, the inauguration went out and everyone now knew who the king was. And then there will come a period in history where you know, Israel becomes a nation again, and that triggers a series of prophecies that we can now take literally that leads to the second coming. Mm -hmm. And this happened in 1947, and that is the year the UFO phenomenon began in 1947. And so the sign on earth was given, the nation was born, and the sign in the heavens was given. Mm -hmm. These guys appeared again, but this time with a strategy. They're recreating their Nephilim, but the strategy is they're presenting themselves as modern day gods or UFOs and increasingly taking over the imagination of the culture mm. and presenting themselves as the saviors because their climactic point is to reverse reality yes. as we enter into the cosmic war as the world of the heavens and the world of earth are colliding in this period of history in, in our generation as these prophecies are coming true and we're about to uh, move from the age of empire into the messianic kingdom. So. So now I could see an arch, and that's what led to the making of UFOs, angels, and gods, and the mysteries that you know uh, were revealed by the Lord. Um, and uh, yeah, so please watch the documentary if you wish. And uh, so I just realized um, this push. I've always said the Marvel comics, the comic book, the the hybrid human, these supernatural beings in form that be replaced uh, good old hard work the cowboy, the, the, the man, the real human on this planet, the Rocky story, the, you know, William Wallace stories, here comes Marvel. And I was looking and when did it uh, turn into a magazine in 1947? Wow. So you have the exact wow. time 
of the propagation of the propaganda, getting humans excited about these hybrid right, right. Um, coming to save from these other Nephilim that are evil and the war between the two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. X-Men, the hybrid human, the mutant, the genote, you know, the transhumanism. Yeah, the manipulations that they're doing. Yeah, because you know what what the New Testament says is that there's going to be a resurrected race among humans that are going to form the royal priesthood. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of the Nephilim is the fallen angels are creating beings in their own image Mm -hmm. to create a competing priesthood. That's right. When you look at Isaiah 14, I think it is, we get the five I wills of Satan's heart. Yep. And in there he explains uh, that his ambitions, the Holy Spirit sheds light, that he wants to be worshipped as the first principle of a created order, right. which is the root of idol worship. And mm. that's what Paul says in Romans, in, in the first chapter of Romans, that idol worship essentially is the worship of the creation or the worship of the creator. Mm. And that's why these guys want to be worshipped, right. want to create a race in their own image, they want to fill the world with their own laws, with their own commandments. Right. And we are in a cosmic tale because we are the children of Adam and Eve. That's right. Because we have this incredible destiny and the earth is a mysterious place in the heavens, which is where these beings are coming and going. Now the whole story of the Bible can be taken literally and the modern day UFO phenomenon is prophetically contextualized. And now we can see who they are and where it's going. So when I saw this whole picture and the see the serpent leading to the Antichrist and the mm-hmm. ten kings themselves being perhaps Nephilim, mm-hmm. the, then I was like, I got to tell the world about this. Amazing. And so we made the documentary and it went viral on Google Video. It became one of the most popular items. When you went, when you logged into Google Video, six videos appeared as the most popular and ours was one of them. Mm. And so uh, I realized that there's a thirst for this knowledge and and since 2006 when we released this i've seen so many other people come and show interest in all of these topics and learn about it and talk about it and it makes the bible a lot more real and it kind of provides the fact that this was a unique voice that there's a competing spiritual system in the world Mm. anything that is not essentially of this in the god of israel is of this other competing spiritual structure there's only two spiritual sources Mm. that's it there's you know and so you could now understand why you know jesus is the only way the way the truth and the life and the only way to the father Mm. because this is how heaven decreed reality on earth and Mm. this is who these other forms uh sources of spirituality were of the nations and we can now follow them from the ancient world into the world of the holy spirit where they slowly start to go underground and form the secret societies as they no longer can be worshipped in the open. And then we see the reemergence of them starting in the 19th century, reading, leading to the Nazis, and now we know that prophetically there's going to be a final empire mm-hmm. as God has perhaps gathered Jerusalem again so the eagles of Rome will now unite. And I think today the boundaries of Rome go from Moscow to D.C., and into the rest of the colonies mm-hmm. um, via, you know, Europe. Mm-hmm. And I think that is that is the modern day Rome. Yes. And we'll see. We'll see if if, if America is going to be weakened uh, as it has been since 9/11, and and now can fall into place in an assembly of power, mm-hmm. uh, no longer as 
you know, the one power that leads all the powers, but a power that's more equal and needs a coalition of nations to secure the rule of Rome still. Mm -hmm. uh, but we'll see. I mean, the, the Moscow, which has inherited the scepter of Constantinopolis, mm -hmm. the Eastern Rome, yep. is kind of positioning itself in the hierarchy and, and wanting a, a more important place than, than the eagles of the West are willing to assign it. They kind of consider the Slavics the king of the Slavs to be inferior and, and they feel that that he should take his, his place mm -hmm. and, and he feels differently that, that he wants to bargain for a more prominent place. Yes. But if China rises to power, it may push all of these eagles together yes. to hold back the economic might of China and form empire again. And God has said that he'll allow it and there'll be one guy who will be the king of the king of the nation. Mm -hmm. Because it says, why do the nations rage and gather against the God and against his Messiah? Um, well, who is going to lead these nations? Well, there's going to be a king of the king of the nations. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the battle of David and Goliath is a type of this final confrontation. And that's why the son of David is the Messiah, but Goliath is a Nephilim. Why would God choose a Nephilim? Right. Because the final world leader will also be one. Mm. Sounds insane. Even now that I'm saying it, I'm still like, oh, sounds no, right. I don't look. I don't. I, first of all, you're right, and I and I want to tell you, you are right, and it is not crazy. And the and it's sad that you have to explain yourself in a Christian. See, Christianity. I, that's why I, I've told you before we started our last podcast. Yeah. I've left this form. I don't even know what this form is. It's the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. There is the word is the power, and it's interesting. I was going to say this. This got me fired up because I hate when people qualify. You are on the right track. You have it. I'm blessing you. You are blessing me with this. Thank you. The the trick, and this is why words are subtle. This is the most subtle beast of the field, which the Lord got in me. Subtlety is such a, a nasty little creep. You know, the Jehovah Witness okay. Bible says in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was a God. Just adding one little letter, one word changes the whole oh. connotation. Of right, 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 right. Jesus. So yes. what's interesting is the Bible versions as much as, and it's so good to go into the source why Christianity is so confused right now. And what you're teaching is because John three sixteen in the King James Bible, which was never called the King James Bible until after he died, the Jesuits tried to kill him twice it was called the authorized version. It was written in the fifth grade reading level so the whole world could be freed from the tyranny of Rome. Nice. Wrote the word only begotten son. Right. But in 1881 with the revised version, every version today outside the King James Bible uses the word one and only son. Right. Which contradicts Genesis 6-2, which contradicts Job. Which right, there, right. So there's a confusion because people can quote John 3-16 every right, second. Right, right. Which, God, so it was one and only son, one and only son, one and only son, one and only son. It's like, but then you're saying the sons of God. And they're like, their brains are going. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. How do I fit this? Uh, yeah, exactly. So yeah. what you're teaching is so important. And. The Bible is referring to the one of a kind. Yes. the what, the one Exactly. And I just. um Thank, I just want you to know I love you and thank you. And this is such a beautiful um, man. I, I would give you a hug if we we're in person. Just know that this is the time. And I will add something that I find fascinating that you can share is that God establishes three bodies named nouns in the heaven, the second heaven, 
in Genesis, which is sun, moon, and then the lesser light, the stars. But yes, the stars also. I like that he throws in like the stars also. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. But sun and moon, the lesser to rule by night and the, the greater to rule by day. And every other planet in our solar system, our sun system, is named after a pagan god. Yes. So to the atheist mind, describe to me why they are willing to change everything that has been established by God. The genders, the, the, the sciences, all these things, but they cannot replace the word sun. They cannot replace the word moon, and they cannot replace the word earth. And these three are the heavens. Yes. No, that's very interesting. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and, and this whole naming of the planets um, by the name of the various gods and even the Apollo mission mm-hmm. and now the Andromeda, uh, I think it's called no, it was Andromeda, that Trump signed this uh, treaties where all the nations can come and explore space yeah. uh, uh, through America. Uh, what was it called? I have to look it up again. It's the sister of Apollo. That's the name of that treaty. So there, there's this, you know, this connection because I think that these guys are claiming, you know, the heavens as part of the realm and their chance. Yes. But when you look at Sputnik, uh, which was the first thing we humans sent into the, the space, the Soviet satellite, I was looking up the, uh, the date the other day, because I'm writing a novel, and I looked up the date of when it was set. And I, and I don't know, I thought, you know what, let me look it up in, in the Hebrew calendar. And it was sent on the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur. Wow. And, and, so, and the Day of Atonement is also wow. a day of judgment. It is yes. the redemption of Israel yes. and the judgment of the nations. And so perhaps this idea of like Nimrod reaching into the heavens, yeah. that's what Sputnik represents, the tip of an ambition uh, of, of Apollo, of Zeus, you know, and, 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 and the coming of the Son of God. That the so of that's really yeah. cool. That's yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's so it's interesting how you know this is reality. When you you were talking about the altering of reality in our minds, starting yes. with the Renaissance. Yes. So the heavens is replaced by the concept of the universe. Yes. And now we're no longer in the heavens and on the earth. We're in the universe. What is that? Well, figuring it out. Which which ironically too, you one verse they knew that no one would use that word and not know verse because they wrote in prose. They were prolific. Right. I mean, the sages, the texts were so, so when they put one verse, no longer was there allowed to think differently or right, right. it was fall in line to the Roman system. I joke around that mit, when Rome lost its political power per se to the perceived world, it, it, it used to send emissaries out to the, the lands and the emissaries would come by two typically. And they would say, we're coming, submit or die. The die, right. That there you go. That's all you have. And then when Rome lost its military might perceive to the world, it changed its emissaries to missionaries and sent them out two by two and told them the same message to give to every people in the land. Right. God's coming. Submit yeah. or die. Exactly. First. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So the and a lot of these guys, Galileo, Newton, were also Masons. Yes. You know, part of that. And and so the the kind of the larger landscape changed from the heavens to the universe. Mm-hmm. Now, instead of having the host of the heavens in the universe, we get the concept of aliens. And Darwin's hypothesis becomes the gospel truth, the creation story of the atheist. Yes. 
And so the idea then is, oh, where we evolved here and these guys evolved elsewhere, they're just more advanced and they're coming to see us now. So now reality is altered. And even though it's the same old guys who've been here from the beginning, that the Bible has extensively explained to us who they are, uh, how they relate to our world system, what is happening at this moment in time if we're living, you know, the second coming. Mm. Um, but yet this altered perception that we're in the universe and these guys are aliens creates a deflection that confuses us. And now they can speak worldview into this paradigm. They yeah. can say, well, we're the saviors of the world. So, so the world is altered continuously from the biblical worldview so we're in a real war, it seems, and these guys are intelligent. Yes. They live for centuries. Who knows how long they live? And so they plan ahead. They create national paradigms. They create structures. They've just had to go underground since God released the Holy Spirit and toppled their rule over the nations. But God has said that he will allow them to gather one last time yes. in one glorious thing. And so, you know, not glorious, but you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. And, and now that we're there, we're seeing that there's artificial intelligence involved, genetics involved, advanced pharmaceutics involved, the kinds of knowledge we see these guys receive in the world before the flood in the age of Atlantis. And Here's so when, I have one more thing to add because this is fascinating, is um, Trump, which I find him to be... First uh, Corinthians 15.52 says, in the twinkling of uh, an eye... It says, uh, for in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Right. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. So Trump chooses Pence, trumpets. He is the right. trumpets. This is the last, this is it, the coronation. Right. And in Trump Tower, in his um, living room, whatever room it is in Trump Tower, but where he lived in his top floor penthouse is a painting of Apollo. Oh, really? Wow. Yep. So, and Apollo is the destroyer. Um, it's a, all these, it's like people, if they just watch the news, they have no idea what's going on. If they're just re, but you and many others, and this is why I'm so thankful, David. I love David Rodriguez because he's a humble, beautiful, like true human doing right. his best Perfect. to figure stuff out. He's, yeah. I love him. But so many people are pulling all these pieces, finally saying, wait a minute, <laughs> and bringing it back to the surface or the consciousness of mankind so that we can actually be free again. Well, Daniel was given a prophecy in chapter 12, and then he was told to hide this. Mm, and it yeah. says that, that this was for the Akharit Hayamim, for the mm -hmm. end of days. And I thought the other day that a body of knowledge was hidden and it's a spiritual scroll nearly in our minds and hearts. And now God is opening it up. This body of knowledge that was hidden for our generation is being opened up. And we need all of this perception to see the things that were always in the Bible that yes. were kept for our generation yes. because we need to deal with the world that we're now entering that yes. requires an understanding of these massive ideas in order for us not to be deceived and keep our bearings straight because these are very powerful things. You know, these beings, they're chosen ones. It says in the book of Revelation that there are four angels kept in the river Euphrates that will be released. Yes. So, so the, there's all of this underground stuff and, 
if God is using the tectonic plates uh, to keep these things in, and once they're released, who knows what you know they can speak into the world. So we're entering really a time of great deception. When Jesus was asked to talk about the end of the age, he began and ended his you know monologue in Matthew 24 with the admonition, do not be deceived. Mm-hmm. So it, it points to the fact that it's going to be a time of deception. Even in, it says in the letter to Thessaloniki that there will be a great lie. Yeah, that it will be spoken that those who didn't have the love of the truth, you know, yes. will receive this lie. So, and we conjecture in the Bible the great ultimate lie is the reversal, a complete reversal of reality, where mm. Jesus and, and the armies of heaven are presented as you know the evil characters that brought religion. That you know, and then of course Lucifer is presented as the angel of light who came to free humanity and give knowledge. Mm. And so the, there's a complete reversal of reality at the end of, of, of the last moment of history. And that may be the great lie that Paul is talking about. So if you don't have this knowledge, then you're going to be um, uh, confused, you know? And, and I think that's why, uh, but thou, Daniel, shut up uh, the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Mm. Many shall run to and fro, knowledge shall be increased. and one could say the knowledge that is being increased is not just technological knowledge, but knowledge of scripture. Mm. Why? Because it is revealing the hidden books to us, the hidden knowledge of the Bible to us. The Holy Spirit is, of course, revealing it to us at this time. And you're right, you need to be freed from some of the older versions of Christianity in order to be to, to receive what yes. is coming for our generation yet it has to be biblically rooted and that's why we're doing yes. such a study of these terms and concepts and how the bible puts it so at the end of the day all i'm doing is repeating the literal story of the bible but it after removing all the confusion my heart came to a place where i can easily take it literally and now all of history these yes. gods the ufos the altering from polytheism to monotheism the bodies of knowledge given to humanity, history itself, and the present condition of the world, whether it's with Israel, whether it's the modern UFO phenomena, whether it's, you know, the prophetic future, all of it fell into place. Mm. You know, now there's a nice uh, arc, the puzzles are solved. So the Bible does identify all the characters of history, like all the categories. So cool. It is so cool. I The cosmic story. <sighs> the cosmic story. And in the middle of this cosmic story is the love story between yes. the father and his children. Yes. yes. And that, that this is not just a logical tale. This is not just a political saga playing out in the heavens and on the earth. This is the story of a father who's having children who he is destined uh, for great things and an enemy that seeks to thwart those plans mm. based on his own ambitions. And the father reaches in and redeems his children uh, by presenting himself as a shield to them and, and you know, bringing them back home to the heavenly Jerusalem where they were always intended to, to be. So cool. And presenting this side of his character to the creation that he's, he's above all to be understood as a, as a loving God mm. and a sacrificial God. And, right. and so we can, we can be healed in our inner person slowly and then also be healed uh, in the physical world that a second coming and eventually as we enter the heavenly Jerusalem, it's a process of redemption, of healing, of restoration. Yes. And, uh, and the earth 
is the incubation chamber, the birthplace of the immortal children of God, who are to form a royal priesthood yes. at, in the temple at the heart of time and space, and to, as servant leaders, govern the angels. And I imagine it's the kind of world in which we will excel in all of the curiosity and ideas and characteristics that he has gifted us with. Mm. It's not a sterile place where we all just stand all day long in white robes mm -hmm. and sing hallelujah. It's not, it's a fun thing. It's a, it's, we're going to be exploring time. Yeah, he's still creating. God's not ever not creating. So there was always going to be, that's where I, I think Christianity, it, it's a, it's actually want to get into the origin of it, but I know the origin of where they've given this like harp and stop moving and just hanging out in clouds where heaven is, God has never stopped creating. He is the God of creation. And so yes, exactly. change not, I am the Lord. I change not Malachi three, six. So then when we That's get it. into this place, we will go and the there's and continue to create exactly and explore. Yes. And so it's going to be very fulfilling to be part of this. It's, awesome. and it's interesting how we were always part of this story that, yes. that the reason we find ourselves in this world and in these empires and in this fallen place is this, is the result of past historical events yes. that happen in the cosmos and the prophetic future that we are told is the future of the world as we know it. And we are in this crazy story because of who we really are mm. and who we were born to be. Mm. And, and the reason we've been confused and lied to is because we have an enemy who has been given authority. And why does God allow it? I think God murkies the waters in order to test the heart of man. Mm. Those who are truly, you know, love God yes. uh, with all your heart, mind, soul, then you naturally search for the truth and yes. you will find it, you know, seeking you shall find. Yep. And those who don't care, they have, you know, that God has given free will to his creatures and he wants us to choose yes. and to, to prove ourselves in the time that he's given us on this earth. And everyone receives revelation. God, I think, taps on everyone's shoulder. Yep. And so this is kind of why he's allowed the murking of the waters because it is the testing of man's heart. It's in the school of good and evil that this royal priesthood is born and formed. Mm. And, and so this, there's a reason for, for, for the confusion as well. But we are living in the night of history yes. because the second coming is called the great day, the yes. terrible, great terrible day yes. of the yes. Lord, which implies if he brings the day that we are in the night of history. Mm. And God has I hidden remember. himself from yeah. us in the spirit of history in order, I think, to test and sharpen our hearts. Yes. Paul says that all of creation moans and groans in expectation of the revelation of the sons of God, speaking about us. Mm. We are the sons of God in the Messiah. And so they're all waiting and watching to see what happens on this planet that those who were made, you know, less than God perhaps, but with the destiny to be these judges are born and formed. So there's a lot of eyes looking at how we are playing out, you know, the story yes. and the great comforting thing, perhaps above all, is that the foundational doctrine of the New Testament is grace. Yes. And so we are ultimately, you know, energized by God to accomplish these mighty things that we just can't. Hmm. And God's grace makes it all possible. Yes. Uh, and, you know, you're speaking about the kind of people touching the Bible and creating things. Is, I think it's in, um, you know, it says that the law came through Moses, um, but it says the law came through Moses, grace through Jesus Christ. Yes. But some of the translations 
uh, the later King James Version, they have inserted the word but. Mm. And often there's a line because it's not in the original Greek mm-hmm. that the law came through Moses, but grace through Jesus. Because the God of the Old Testament is full of grace. He, mm-hmm. he shows grace all the time. Yes. Like, you know, so there is no but. There is no conflict mm. between Moses and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, um, the Lord says, you know, uh, Moses said this, and I say this. But in Greek, the same word can be translated as and or but. Mm. Uh, but the translator chooses to put but, constantly creating this friction between mm. Jesus and Moses that doesn't exist. Right. In fact, the, the, the books of Moses spoke of the days of Jesus yes. and spoke of the land of milk and honey, which is the Messianic kingdom, yes. and spoke of the Passover lamb and of the appointed days upon which all things occurred, whether it's the coming of the Messiah, his sacrifice, whether it's the giving of the Holy Spirit on Shavuot, the day of Pentecost, and even perhaps, as you mentioned, the Feast of Trumpets, and mm-hmm. uh, or you mentioned you know, the last yeah. trump, yeah. Yep. It could be the piece of trumpets and and yep. and, and and the and sure. the uh, day of atonement and then there's the messianic vision of Zachariah's scroll where it says that all the nations gather against Jerusalem and God comes to on the Mount of Olives and defeats these nations and establishes a kingdom on earth and then in representatives from all the nations have to come to Jerusalem on the day of Sukkot mm-hmm. on Tabernacle mm-hmm. which ironically has 70 sacrifices that are offered on that day which may correspond to the 70 nations it's the feast of the gathering so the story of israel begins on that faithful passover and ends 3000 years later on this faithful coming sukkot mm. where the messianic kingdom is ushered in so the appointed days are not only marking the the important days of god's calendar where messianic activities are to happen they are in fact marking the forward movement of history. Mm. God's, you know, Abrahamic covenant will be established over the course of 3000 years through these appointed days, starting with the Exodus of Passover and the Messianic kingdom ushered in on Sukkot, mm. the one that is coming. Yes. So there, there definitely, there is no conflict between Moses and Jesus. Right. It is the same story. Right. The conflict is imagined by European Christianity. Yeah, and, and European Orthodoxy as well yeah. in the Jewish world because I know that that also is been... both ways. It goes yes. both ways, right? Yes. Uh-huh. And 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 so there has to be a healing yep. where where you know the Jews have. It's like the story of Joseph. The first time they don't recognize the brother of Joseph. Mm-hmm. The second time they come, he removes the makeup. He speaks in their own language. So the first time there was no recognition. The second time, and that healing I think has started with the Messianic movement. And so we're going to see, you know, where it goes, but it's going to go to to, to complete healing. So it's been Satan's strategy to put a wedge between these two um, realities. I think, for instance, in the letter to Ephesians, uh, what Paul is saying is that this whole one new man and this the joining. Uh, uh, so what he's saying is, look, God already chose Jacob. That's what Deuteronomy 32, verse 8 and 9 is saying, verse 9. Now the Gentiles through the Messiah are allowed to leave this political arrangement. This, they were bought in the blood of the Messiah. Their souls are purchased from the dominion of the sons of God. Mm-hmm. And they are brought to the same side in which Jacob already existed. Mm-hmm. And that's why 
to become one man with yeah. with Israel. Beautiful. J Jacob's already there. The yep. Gentiles are added through the Messiah. And, and that's how reality is altered and monotheism is ushered in. This spiritual foundation of Deuteronomy 32 verse 9 is changing hmm. as the blood, you know, he's purchasing the Gentiles out of the rule and legal authority yes. of the sons of God and adding them to the commonwealth of Israel. Hmm. Yeah. Ali, I, want, I, I would hang out with you for a long time. I love this stuff. I, um, one thing I just want to share before, before we wrap here is God showed me that the great and dreadful day of the Lord are two days, okay. great day and dreadful day. Interesting. And it was a great day when he came as a lamb. It will be a dreadful day when he comes as the lion. Wow. And this imitation of your adversary, the devil walketh about like a lion seeking whom he may devour being that the imitation Christ, the antichrist actually can't cross anyone's will. But when we don't put on the mind of Christ and mind yeah. of freedom and, and seek truth, then we are allowing Satan as the lion to consume us. Exactly. And I was thinking this while you were talking, I was like, lie. I, I love before the 1600s, they would write let the word letter meant one letter, not a body of words. So they changed what, like when Jesus says not a jot or tittle, like the, I mean, I, my friends are my, cause I have Jewish family and, and Christian family. I have a lot in the Orthodox community. I mean, the letter, those, the, there's no messing around when it comes to like the word. And you know that, cause you study yeah. Hebrew. So I was like, well, what is lie? What is the, what is the word lie? L I E. Cause I know evil E V I L is the inversion of live L I V E devil D E V I L is the inversion of lived. So Satan comes to still kill and destroy. It's the inversion of life, which I've came to yes. give life and more life and more abundantly. So there's this death or life or I don't know which way people are looking, but there's this choosing this day whom you will serve right. life or death. But I was right. like, what's, what's lie. And lie is missing two letters that you could insert into the word lie. Right. It's missing an F for life, which gives us father. Okay. And it's missing the V for live, which gives us love. Right. So the lie right. is missing the love of the father. Nice. And that's the world nice. of the works yes. and performance and, and slavery and doings. And the kings and the gods of the world are say, yes, serve us. And, and the prince of this world behind them all. Exactly right. Yes. Yeah. It's how fascinating how it all yeah, connects. Yeah. And, and really, for me, the key that makes it all real, at least for some reason, my mind sees it this way, is inserting us back into our true original identity. Mm. That we are the children of the one made in the image of God. That's why we're in such a cosmic tale. Yes. There's been a lot of effort by the enemy to rewrite our identity. Right. I mean, that's what happened to the people at Holocaust as well. Their identity was robbed and they were given a number. Yes. And this is kind of this thing erasing our true identity yes. and then rewriting it. But once you kind of can remove and reinsert your identity, the truth of it, then now it makes sense why we are in such a story right. because we are part of the world of God and angels. We have always been part of the world and our history is the manifestation of the interaction of our world and the world of God and angels. So but, cool. You know, that's how history has taken shape. 
Yes. You know, you said that the great and terrible day, two days. Yes. It reminded me of this one verse from Numbers 24 where Balaam, who is hired to curse Israel, blesses yeah. Israel, and he prophesies, and he says, for a star will come from Jacob, a scepter will arise from Israel. Mm. And I think the star and the scepter refer to these two comings, the star, the light That's of God. That's cool. Yeah. The scepter, yeah. the kingship. That's amazing. Kingdom. Yeah. He receives the kingship after the ascension yes. and comes back to claim the throne of David and rule from the city of Jerusalem. I love this stuff, as you can tell. Thank you. You're God welcome. Bless you. You're amazing. And thank you for blessing me with your time and sharing thank with the audience. Welcome. And um, I know this is blessing. I know I already shared feedback with someone that's very influential in the U.S. military that found this um, to be a blessing. So thank you. And nice, nice. God, um, God bless you too. We yeah. will stay in touch. We'll continue. In fact, if you want to, I, I know there's more we get to talk about, but for now, let's wrap it here. And, and okay. okay. So guys, if you want to know more about me, go to my website, thinkhandproductions.com. You can email me, sign up for the newsletter. You can donate. You can watch the documentary on the website, double click to go to the YouTube page and watch the videos there. And the patron, you know, join me on Patreon. It, it helps me have regular support, which, which I need income in order to focus on writing and I'm working on publishing and printing and making other documentaries. And um, I'm going to be serving you by putting up that audio study of the book of Revelation. And, you know, the book of Revelation is mainly the story of how the kingdom of these fallen angels and their offsprings is judged by the coming of God and people are delivered from their hand. Mm -hmm. And so th this is very interesting as I take you into the book of Revelation from this perspective. There's 800 references to the Old Testament in the 400 verses of the book of Revelation. And so mm -hmm. it's very interesting. It helps us understand, you know, the world because it's the capstone of the perfect writing. So join me on patreon.com slash think again and support me and listen to the audio series the first one will be posted tomorrow god willing awesome. um thank awesome. you so much lucas for this uh, opportunity to share yes. with your audience it's been a blessing to me it always is and i i keep learning new things even as i speak and listen to others thank you so much for the opportunity my pleasure thank you thanks ali Woo! that was fun ali thank you again for coming on Brothers and sisters, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't look to the black box devices to give you truth. Go within. It's so interesting that Ali was saying that Dios or Diu, um, the French word uh, for D-I-E-U-X or Dios is the name for Zeus, which is so interesting. Um and really, I still think that Jesus um, is a word to that. But either way, God knows the intent of what we're saying. So Yeshua, God saves. Yeshua, Yeshua HaMashiach, the, the anointed one to save, to bring us freedom, freedom from the satanic, cabalistic, top of the pyramid scheme that has totally wreaked havoc on our lives and is robbing everyone, stealing, killing, destroying our hope, our faith our vision, our sight, our love for one another. Everything is happening. The systems are falling apart. It feels like everything's just going down. And amidst it all, there's beautiful peace. There's beautiful truth. 
And there's incredibly beautiful light that is bursting forth. Do not let your hearts be troubled, brothers and sisters. Walk in love. Walk in light. Everything is going to be okay. Do not let this world crush your soul. Stand firm. Stand mightily. Rise up. Seek truth with every fiber of your being. Wake up out of the slumber. Break out of the fog of the matrix antichrist system. Because you are destined for so much more. For I mean, so much more. You are destined for more as much as you want. You're a co-creator. With your words, you co-create this existence. So speak love, truth, life, beauty, goodness. And let's do this together. It's such a beautiful time. Ali, again, thank you again. Go to his website, thinkagainproductions.com. Support him on Patreon if you so feel called to do that. And brothers and sisters, thank you again. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, like, rate it, give give me ratings. Uh, this helps the message. I, I've said this before. It is almost humorous how shadow banned I have become. And yet I don't do this for the numbers. I do this for the impact. I, as I say in the opening and the outro, I'm on a mission to see the hurting get healed, the healed go out and heal others. The only way we can heal is when we face our pain, speak our pain, release our pain and crack wide open our hearts to find the courage again, to experience the unconditional and infinite love of God waiting for each and every one of us. And the Bible says that God, we love God because he first loved us. God is love. God loves you. God loves you. Discover that love and you will discover a new world. A new <laughs> heavens will open up for you. Discover that world. Heaven. Remember a conjunction of heart and even the balanced heart, peace within So dear brother and sister, I love you so much. I bless you all. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Thank you for staying on this journey because this was a longer episode. You're not alone. That is the most important thing you get to hear right now. You're not alone. I am with you on this journey. God is with you on this journey. And together we will rise in love, light, truth, beauty, and goodness. I'm Lucas Mack. This is the Golden Rule Revolution. And I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for listening. For support in your journey, go to my website, lucasmack.com.